Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock. I'll be your host for this podcast. And we're talking today with Alma Miklasevics, an associate here at Mundal Law. How are you doing, Alma? I'm doing great. Today's topic is on family law and the transgender community. Why is this an important topic? It's important to me, personally, because I am transgender, and I am also an attorney practicing in the area of family law. So this is important to me. It's also important for people who are transgender, Minnesotans who love people who are transgender, Minnesotans who have children who are transgender. It's, it's important for a lot of reasons, and you see that there is still a long way to go. So there's still a long way to go. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, here in Minnesota, we are a very trans-friendly state for the most part. Relative to other states, we have the Minnesota Human Rights Act, which protects transgender Minnesotans from discrimination in certain areas. We have Minneapolis, who is the first city in the country to institute anti-discrimination protections for transgender people. So even though Minnesota is very progressive, and particularly the metro area, we still have a lot of bias in society against transgender people. And discrimination statutes like the Minnesota Human Rights Act or the Civil Rights Act, they do not prevent discrimination. They're more like barriers to it. They can inhibit that kind of conduct. But if someone wants to discriminate against you, they can find a way, most likely. And it can be difficult to prove. So given that we have bias still, it makes sense that our courts are going to reflect that. Our courts are made up of people, and the people who make laws are people. So if there's a societal bias against a particular group of people, any marginalized group, you're going to see some instances of bias in the legal system as well. How do transgender concerns affect the divorce process, Oma? Well, exactly. It's hard to say. It could be subtle. It could be pretty obvious. One obvious one would be if the opposing party or opposing counsel or maybe even a judge felt that a person's status as being transgender somehow inhibited or cast out on their ability to be a good parent, to be a fit parent, to provide their child with the love and support and things that the child needs to be a happy child. How might that affect the outcome? In that case, with the argument that a transgender person isn't a fit parent or can't be a fit parent, that's pretty widely accepted as not having any place in a discussion about child custody, at least in this state. There is nothing about being transgender that impacts a person's ability to be a fit parent. But there's a possibility that an opposing counsel might try to use that, is what you're suggesting that bias might entail. 
They might. Or, as I mentioned, the metropolitan area here tends to be more liberal and progressive. There are areas of the state where that's not the case. And the inclinations of the judicial officers in those areas of the state may reflect that. So you're suggesting maybe in more rural areas that aren't quite as progressive as like a a city like Minneapolis or St. Paul? There are areas of the state that tend to vote more conservatively, have more conservative values. And the bias isn't obvious like we think about with, uh, like, say, Jim Crow laws and Southern judges and discrimination of that sort. What might be a good way for some of those biases to be dealt with in a family law court? The number one thing, if you're an attorney and you're representing a transgender client, or if you're transgender and you have a legal matter pending, education is going to be key. It's going to be very important to educate the judge, opposing counsel, your own attorney in some cases, about the transgender experience. And I know that's not easy. As a transgender person myself, that can be challenging. But it is crucial if you don't educate, say, the judge about the transgender experience and what it means and how it really has no bearing. You're leaving it up to the judge's own preconceived ideas or notions, beliefs. The challenge is how best to do that educating. Ideally, you could bring in experts to testify about certain things, maybe a a psychologist about children of transgender parents or about transgender children. Can you refer a judge to particular articles that would deal specifically with some of these issues that would be more direct to the case? Yeah, that can work as well if there are some available. And that could be a much cheaper alternative than hiring an expert. Hiring an expert can cost a lot of money. Depending on the severity of a particular decision, it might be the best idea to get that expert. It might be. You know, it's only been since 2013 that gender dysphoria has not been considered a mental health issue. What was it considered before? Well, in 2013, the new Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, DSM-5, came out. And this is where we got the term gender dysphoria. And this is where gender dysphoria became a condition related to sexual health rather than mental health. Let's go in just a slightly different direction, Alma, if we may. Are there privacy concerns in a family law court with respect to transgender issues? Uh, Well, certainly that's one of the first things you want to figure out, if there are or not. What kind of privacy concerns are we talking about? Well, for example, say you have a spouse who has come out and uh, the other spouse can't deal with it. They want a divorce and... This is quite common. One spouse coming out or beginning to transition publicly or medically frequently puts a lot of stress on a marriage, even those marriages that stay together. And unfortunately, it leads to divorce a good percentage of the time. How might a privacy issue be a concern? Can it affect the person's employment? Absolutely. Although, again, Minnesota protects trans people against discrimination in employment. That's one of the areas where we're protected. That's protection on paper. And the reality is you could lose a job because you are transgender. So if a divorce is happening, then it might become more public and there might be some choices that an employer might make, although they're protected by law, but it still could affect your employment. Yeah. 
generally, if they want to end their employment relationship with you, they can find a way. And it can be very difficult to prove discrimination in such a case. Because they could claim that there was some other reason other than the transgender issue, although that may have played a role. Yeah, absolutely. And you may be able to prove discrimination in that case, but you won't be working for a while. And that can impact your day-to-day life in profound ways. It could also affect the ability to be able to support the family financially. Absolutely. Statistically, transgender individuals are much more likely to be unemployed or have diminished earning capacity than the population at large. That's just the numbers. So these things can go into the support calculations. There are also transition-related costs. Hormones are not discretionary expense for a transgender person. Hair removal, facial hair removal, body hair removal, for some trans individuals, those can be crucial to their mental health, to their overall well-being. And so those are costs that can impact the calculations for spousal maintenance. I just want to touch on the privacy considerations just for a little bit again. So as I mentioned, it's kind of part of the planning process. You've got to figure out how much privacy you want, how much you're willing to put yourself out there, or how much your client is willing to put themselves out there. Ideally, you can get a divorce and still maintain that privacy. Even though divorce records are public record and people can access them, most divorces are settled. And if you're able to settle your differences with a spouse outside of court, the pleadings that you eventually do file with the court can contain very little information that people couldn't already get. You would be able to keep private maybe the underlying reasons for the divorce or things like that that could protect you and your transgender identity from losing your job, as we mentioned. And transition is something that not everyone wants to do. Some transgender people choose not to do anything, and they're able to make peace with who they are and find the support they need, and they don't take any public steps to transition. So ideally, this could be worked out. It can't always be worked out, though. There are cases where the other side may be angry. They may be angry that you were transgender and you didn't tell them, and you let them marry you, and now you've ruined their life. And they may be angry, and they may want to punish you, and can use the court process to try to do that. During the divorce. During the divorce. It doesn't even have to be that acrimonious. There may be just one issue that you can't agree on that you have to go to trial on, say spousal maintenance. Well, there may be some things that come in about your transition costs or or things like that that make their way into the record, which could eventually become public. You can seal divorce records on occasion. So that would be another option to preserve your privacy. Privacy stuff really is important to figure out early on, inform your overall strategy in some important ways. What about children who are starting to identify as transgender? How are they affected in family law? Unfortunately, parents aren't always supportive of that in a child's way of expressing their identity and how they identify. So you get a conflict within the marriage. One spouse does not want to affirm the gender identity issues that the child is having. The other spouse wants to affirm. So there's a difficult dynamic there, and that can lead to divorce. 
And then in a divorce, if that's one of the issues, there can be a fight over who gets to make that medical decision for the child. What kind of care should the child receive? At what point do you start puberty blockers? Do you not? Hormones, when can those start? And you have the other parent who doesn't want to do any of that. They don't want to assist their child in affirming that identity at all and may even make them live as the gender they don't identify with. And that can have just long-term devastating impacts for a kid. So unfortunately, yeah, you can see divorces where that is an issue. Again, you're going to need to educate. I think it would be highly advisable to bring in appropriate experts to educate the court to talk about why affirming this is so necessary and why it is in the best interest of the child. It sounds like there might be some additional attention that should be spent with respect to these concerns regarding transgender issues, even in choosing a good attorney. Absolutely. It can be hard to know who's the right attorney to handle any legal issue that you might have. For a transgender individual, one very important thing to be direct about when you're considering potential attorneys is to ask them what their experience is representing transgender individuals or individuals of other marginalized groups, the LGBTQ community, and get a sense of their comfort level with some of the issues or things that you might need to educate a court about. Depending on what the specific issues are, you'd want to find out if they had experience in that. Unfortunately, the reality is there's not a lot of case law here. Because case law is being developed as we speak, because it's a relatively new area. Yeah, it is a relatively new area, and you may find it hard to find an attorney who has the specific experience you're looking for. What you would want to do, though, is make sure that you are comfortable with this person. Make sure that they are comfortable with you. you And that they may be comfortable discussing these specific issues. Yeah, and then also it's not necessary for them to have a deep understanding or knowledge of how being transgender and family law issues can intersect, but you shouldn't have to do all the educating either. The attorney you choose should really, I think, show an interest in educating themselves to some extent. One of the ways you can kind of gauge that is, are they asking questions? Questions are good. It's an indicator that the person you're considering is interested in becoming educated about this, and that will help them to be a much better advocate for you. I happen to be transgender, but you don't need to have a transgender attorney to protect your interests in a family law case. For one thing, there aren't that many transgender attorneys practicing. Chances are you may not have an attorney who's transgender or an attorney who has firsthand experience with these types of cases or issues. But you do want to make sure that they're comfortable with you with these issues, that that they're willing to become educated, that they're willing to ask questions, and you want to consider how comfortable you are with them. Is there anything else that would help listeners to understand more about how transgender issues might be affected within family law? One thing I would like to mention is I think that there can be a tendency on the part of the transgender spouse to want to settle the dissolution too quickly. 
whether it's a sense of guilt or shame for having hidden this fact about themselves from their spouse for years and years and only now being able to come out with it or a similar sense of guilt or shame about just even a recent realization that this is really who you are. Either way, the sense of guilt, the sense of being responsible for the way that your relationship ended, is that can really produce a tendency to settle, to give up way too much, to try to put the whole thing behind you as quickly as possible. I would urge you not to do that if if you're feeling that kind of guilt or shame about this. You need to think about the long-term effects. If you agree to a grossly unfair property settlement because you want to feel somehow less responsible or better about your part in how the relationship ended or why or whatever, that's going to impact your ability to care for yourself long-term, which is going to impact your ability to care for your family, your kids. It can impact you in a lot of ways. I would just urge you to speak with an experienced family attorney before taking any steps in that direction. You could really do well to have an objective opinion on what would be a fair outcome in your case, rather than an outcome that might make you feel a little better right now. Well, thank you, Alma. Those are some very helpful insights on transgender issues having to do with family law. Thank you. You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law, who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundal Law website at mundallaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.